Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. In the cold chill of this evil world, It's important that we're wearing our spiritual clothing. We need to be wearing the full armor of God. Join us now as we complete our journey in Acts chapter 19 with Cheryl Broderson. And now here is part three of Cheryl's message, Wearing the Right Clothing. Years ago, my, um, and I'm talking years and years ago because my daughter's just turned today. She's um, 34. She might not like me telling that out loud, but ha-ha, I did. Um, oh, I'm sorry, she's 33. She really wouldn't like me saying she's 34. She's 33. I'm 54. Got to get these straight. Anyway, um, she, 21, there you have it. She was, um, there was a point she wasn't walking with the Lord. And we were living in England, she was here. And we came over, and she had all these CDs. And she said, you know, I just, I want to be a Christian, but I really love my music. And I put an investment in this music. And the music was just really vile. I hate to say this, but it was vile. She was raised in a Christian home, and this was not good music. And there's some secular music that I don't think is vile. Like some enchanted evening. <laughs> but there is, there is some vile music out there. Would you agree? And, and she had it. And she owned it. And she invested in it. And she thought it was going to make her really cool. And so Brian said, I'll tell you what, we're going to buy your music from you. We're going to buy it from you. And I'll buy it all. And so Brian gave her $300, wrote out a check, which I was like, oh, great. That means we're going to be eating beans and rice for a month. But anyway, he gave her the money because we're on a missionary budget at that time. He gives her the money and we've got this hefty bag, right? We took a hefty bag in a suitcase to England that had all of the CDs, the cases of these CDs. So we get to England, and Brian wants to just throw them all away. And Char, my oldest son at the time, he says, Dad, I could get money for these things. I could take them to, um, there's a place in London and Richmond where I could trade these in and get some money for this music, and why waste it? And I was naughty. I was thinking of that $300 we paid, and I was thinking, yeah, let's just sell it. Brian's like, I don't feel right about selling it. And I prevailed. And I said to Brian, look, Char needs money. He can have a little spending money. Let's let him sell it. So we opened up the bag. And we realized that Kristen took every single CD out of the case. We've got nothing but a bunch of cases. And I'll tell you, Brian wailed. And I've only heard him wail twice. (laughs) Both times it was over our daughters. He was crying. And I was crying too. And we got on our knees and we began to pray. You know what the Lord told us? Don't say a word about this to her. Don't say a word to her. I'm working. So 
Kristen came to Jesus, fully to Jesus, her whole identity with Jesus about four weeks later, and she moved back to England. And I'd find that little broken girl on the staircase or in her room or at the kitchen table with her Bible open, just reading and loving Jesus. I think I told you this before, when she came back to Jesus and she came to Calvary Chapel, London, the people, because they all had testimonies, they queued up, lined up to hug her and kiss her and tell her welcome back. It was the most beautiful thing. I was sobbing. I was holding my stomach. I was sobbing so bad. She was sobbing. They were sobbing. It was beautiful. But one of the interesting things is after Kristen got married about um, seven months later, I turned to my niece and I said, you know, I haven't told anybody the story of the CDs. And I said, you know, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And she said, oh, Aunt Cheryl, you don't know you don't know? And I said, no, I don't know. She said, the day you left, Kristen pulled out the box and said, what have I become? I just ripped off my mom and dad. What is going on with me? And she said, we went out to the trash can and we broke every single one in half. And Kristen gave her life back to Jesus. You know, naughty mother was going to sell them and make a profit. But Jesus intervened and said, no, these are not going to defile one other person. They're out of here. I have another friend. I have friends. Her name is Lisa. And she had a vast art collection of naked statues and naked women. She'd been an art dealer. She gets saved. She has a Bible study in her house. They come to her and they said, Lisa, the guys in the church, they're uncomfortable with the Bible studies in your house. (laughs) She's like, why? You know, what's wrong? And they're like, it's your artwork. And she said, she looks around. She's like, oh, you know, greatest Diana of the Ephesians. She sees, you know, all these naked busts and stuff. And she goes, okay, I get it. So now she's praying, what do I do with all these things? She said she collects them. And she's going to maybe sell them because they're worth so much money. They're art, right? And she said instead, she invites all her girlfriends to a burning at the beach. And she took all of that artwork and she burned it. Now, I'm not saying burn your artwork, but I'm saying this was her conviction because she wanted to be fully identified with Jesus Christ and she wanted to get the brothers back in her house. You know, because, you know, she wanted to get married. Come on. So, you know, get the brothers back in the home. But this is what God led her to do. You know, we look at that and go, what a waste. That's what Judas said, isn't it? When Mary uh, broke the alabaster box and poured the ointment out on Jesus. And that's what the world would say. What a waste. You Christians, you just waste. It's art. You do with that one what you want. But that's what they did. And we're told that, that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. And in verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Because what happened? These believers got fully dressed and they begin to take territory with the sword of the spirit and their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul at this time purposes to leave for Macedonia Much territory has been taken, and he's ready to go into new territory. He's fully equipped. He's equipped these Ephesians for over two years. But before he leaves, a spiritual battle comes just suddenly. 
And that's often how spiritual warfare happens. I mean, there's the climate and you kind of get used to the climate and then the wind chill factor happens, you know? You're like, I can do 26 degrees with all my equipment on. But then all of a sudden the wind comes and it's a wind chill factor. And it seems to just be able to penetrate everything you're wearing. And what we hear about is Demetrius, the silversmith. He's just doing his work. And all of a sudden this thought comes to his mind. Your business is going down. You're not going to be able to support your wife and family. No one's going to care about Diana anymore. And he becomes obsessed with Paul. He becomes angry with Paul. And then he goes to these other silversmiths who make shrines and and are part of the guild that makes these shrines to Diana. And he tells them, we're going to lose all our money. We're going to lose our identity. We're going to lose our importance in this society. Diana's going to lose her importance or Artemis. It's going to be over because of Paul. And we need to get rid of Paul. And we're told that these men, these silversmiths, all of a sudden, they're all filled with wrath. That is quite an overreaction to Paul preaching the gospel. There are less followers, but all of a sudden, they realize their business is in jeopardy. And and they want nothing less than to grab Paul and put him before the magistrates and the city of Ephesus. There, Some estimate that the city of Ephesus had half a million people. Others estimate that it was much smaller than that, probably about 50,000. We don't know. But we do know this, that the amphitheater in Ephesus seats 25,000 people. And we know that Demetrius... And his cohorts begin to stir up the people in Ephesus. And they all ran towards the amphitheater. And some of the mob went to grab Paul but couldn't find him. And so instead they grabbed Gaius and Aristarchus, who was a Macedonian. And they took them into the amphitheater. They've got them up in the front. And it's total mayhem. Most people don't know why they're there. Everybody's shouting a different thing. Then a Jew named Alexander stands up, and some people said he just wanted to disassociate himself with what was going on with Paul. Like, we're Jews, we don't agree with his teaching. But when he started to speak, the crowd started chanting, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So loudly, so long, two hours. Can you imagine? Two hours. Hours they chanted this. You know what that tells me? They didn't believe it. (laughs) Because if you believe it, you don't have to keep saying it to yourself over and over and over and over again. Once will be enough. But they had to keep chanting it. And there they are. And finally, a city clerk gets up after two hours. Maybe they were getting tired. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. (laughs) I know that one of my ways of disciplining my children is when they would have like their fits at two, I had a fit chair. And it was, you know, just sitting kind of off to the side and they could go, they could do anything they wanted in that fit chair. They could scream as loudly as they wanted to. They could say, mommy is stupid. I didn't care. As long as it was in the fit chair, they could do whatever they wanted. 
And I remember one time Kelsey was having a total meltdown and I put her in the fit chair. And I said, go ahead, you stay there. She wanted to hold her own drink and we were insisting on helping her and she got so mad because you know, she could do it herself at you know, two. So I just had her in the chair, just go sit there and the rest of us are just gonna have fun. And you just scream. And I remember she was just like, ah, ah. And then pretty soon she's going, ah, 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 And then she gets up, she goes, okay, I'm done. I was like, great, join the party. And so we did. And she let us, you know, give her a drink with a straw. But, you know, I think this is what it is. Great. Ta-da. You know, it just got tiresome. It got old. I got to tell you, I was with a friend yesterday. She has this dog. It's a fat chihuahua. And you could, you could tell this chihuahua knows it should jump up and go running to the door to see who's there. But I'm sitting down, the chihuahua's right there, and it's laying down, and somebody comes to the door, and the, the chihuahua literally looked at me and went, arf. <laughs> arf. Arf. It was like, and it really sounded like arf. I was like, I've never heard a dog like that. It actually sounds like arf. I can spell what you're saying, A-R-F. It was like the most amazing thing. You could tell the dog, it was like just so over it. Do you know how many times I've run to that door and it's just been my master and I feel so stupid? I'm just going to sit here. Arf. Arf, arf. You know, it's kind of like, they pay me to do this. They give me chicken. So I have to. Arf. Arf, arf. I think that must have been after two hours, you know? Arf. Greatest Diana of the Ephesians. Finally, they're ready to listen to a city clerk. And the city clerk says something just so incredible to me. He says, you know, we could be in trouble for this assembly today because there's really no charges to bring against Paul. There's nothing. Because he's never, ever desecrated or robbed the temple of Diana, nor has he ever spoken against Diana. Paul had the breastplate of Jesus Christ on He had the breastplate. He was so covered. The Ephesians wouldn't let Paul into the amphitheater. The officials who were believers wouldn't let him into the amphitheater. They said, Paul, this is not for you. You're covered. You don't need to come in here. And what do we see? We see that the Ephesian believers were also covered in that amphitheater. There was no charge to bring against them. Paul never desecrated a temple. He, he, it wasn't important to tear down the temple of Diana. All he needed was to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. He didn't need to tear down Diana or her image. All he needed to was to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And Diana's image would be torn down by God's hands and not his. All we need to do is to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. The sword of the spirit exalts the name of Jesus Christ. And all we need to do is hold the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Exalt the name of Jesus Christ, and the temples will fall down. Today, all that's left of the temple of Diana in Ephesus, and other temples have like walls or, um, you know, facades, there is only one pillar left of this great 
wonder of the world. One pillar that shows where the great temple of Diana used to be. Our climate that we live in is not unlike the Ephesian culture. Maybe things aren't so uh, clear or visible, but we still live in an environment that is rife with spiritual power. We still see lives that are overtaken by demonic forces, be it drugs, uh, depression, cutting, sex, promiscuity. We still see these forces intact. Paganism, immorality, this, this worldliness. They're still there. And just like the Ephesians needed to be fully dressed for the climate that they lived in, we too need to be fully dressed. You know, sometimes because we live in Southern California and we really don't need the wool sweaters, and if we put them on in the morning, usually by the afternoon we've gotten tied around our waist, we've gotten kind of soft and we've forgotten to get fully armed up. And so there are times that we get attacked and we get upset and we can't understand what it is and what's going wrong. This is the time to take inventory and say, am I fully dressed? Am I fully dressed? How did that thought get in? How did that thought get in? That, you know, that thought like, you know, Jesus would rather have someone better or you're not forgiven. How did that get on? (gasps) Did I put on the helmet of salvation today? Am I fully identified with Jesus Christ? Do I have the breastplate of righteousness on or am I trying to stand in my own righteousness or my own good works? I get to, I I, I finally, I'm in something and I'm thinking, I can't do this. This is too hard. (gasps) Wait, are my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel? Have I lost direction? Have I forgotten the purpose that I'm here? Do I have the belt of truth? Am I believing lies or am I standing in the absolute truth of what Jesus has done? Do I have the shield of faith up? And I am, am I believing and knowing it's all about what God can do and God has done? Because it's only the shield of faith that will quench those fiery darts of the enemy. You know, we women, we get a letter and we read it the first time through and we know it's from a mean person, so we have to read it 20 times. Because we want to find out every mean thing they said. We're reading between the lines. We're reading between the words. We're holding it upside down. We're putting on the record player, playing it backwards. We want to know what did they really mean? Because I know. No, forget that. Read it the first time, take it at face value, go, aren't they nice? And get rid of it real quick. Because you know what I feel like? We become forensic, forensic spiritual warfare people. The, 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 the fiery dart hit the shield, it fell off, it was quenched. And what do we do? We relight it and say, now, if it had hit its target, how hard would it have hurt? Oh, oh that would hurt. You know what I mean? How far distance, how fast was it going? And and we do this to ourselves. No, 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 no. Hold up that shield of faith. When it's quenched, leave it there. And don't go back. Dress up. Get dressed. Put the full 
armor on. Because where we live, where you live, is just as cold and problematic as Ephesus. And just as they needed the full armor, we also need the full armor of God. It was probably about two years ago, and I was going through something. And I was sitting at my mom's kitchen table with her. And she looked at me and she said, what do you need to do? What do you need to do? And I just, I hadn't even told her the whole situation. Because I I didn't want to burden her and I wasn't sure how much of it she'd understand. And she looks at me and she says, what do you need to do? What, there's something you need to do. What do you need to do? And I just looked at her and I said, put on the whole armor. Yes! You need to put on the whole armor of God. What's first? I need to shod my feet with the gospel of peace. Yes! And what does that mean? I said, I need to remember that it's all about going forward with the gospel. And Satan is going to try to detour me, distract me, and get me off the central purpose of my life, which is to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes! And what's next? Uh, the breastplate of righteousness. Yes. And what does that mean? It means I need to put on Jesus Christ and what he's done and not stand in my own righteousness and all my sins are forgiven and I'm hidden in Jesus Christ. And anyone who wants to get to me has to first go through Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, yes. And what's next? Next, next. And I'm trying to remember Ephesians chapter six the best I can because I don't have it memorized. And I said, next is the helmet of salvation. Yes. And what does that mean? I said, it means I need to put it on my head and let my identity in Christ guard all my thoughts. And if it's not true, if it's not lovely, if it's not a good report, if it's not virtuous, then it does not belong in my thinking process. And I have to eschew it and put it away because it's, it's not true. She said, yes, what else? I had forgotten the belt of truth, the belt of truth. Yes, yes, yes. And what does that do? I said, it holds everything together. And I said, I need to believe the truth and not the lies because the lies are yelling at me. As my son Braden once said, Satan keeps yelling and Jesus just whispers. And we need the belt of truth to hold everything together. And she said, yes, yes, yes. And what else? And I said, I need the shield of faith. And what does the shield of faith do? I said, it quenches every fiery dart of the enemy. She said, how many? I said, every. And then I'm right across the table. I can't hear you. I said, every. And then, you know, my mom, always the preacher, again, every. Let me hear it with enthusiasm. Every. And what is faith, Cheryl? Faith is believing that God is that God is active in my life, that God sees, that God hears, that God knows, that God is working. And God will bring this to glory because all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And she said, and what's the last one? And this is where I knew the Holy Spirit was so honored. And I said, the last one is the sword of the Spirit. She said, and what is that? I said, it's the word of God. And she said, what do you do with that? I said, I hold on to it and I never let go of it.
In fact, they said when they tried to get the sword out of Shama's hand after he held the bean field, they couldn't because it was stuck fast to the helm of the sword. And they had to just pry it out of his hand and his hand still looked like it was holding the sword. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. I need to hold on to the word of God. These promises, these truths are my perception, my reality, my promises, my pathway. We need to be dressed. Christian, it's time to take inventory and ask, am I fully dressed in the armor of God so that when evil comes, I can stand my ground? Do I have my belt of truth buckled around my waist? Is my breastplate of righteousness in place? Are my feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? Have I taken up my shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one? Am I wearing my helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit? We have the strength of our mighty God when we are dressed in our spiritual armor. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Wearing the Right Clothing. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will begin her teaching in Acts chapter 20 with part one of her message entitled, Into God's Keeping. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.